Hello and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Madeline, and this week, Jack, Kanisha, and I spoke with Tedman Getchman, founder of Common Sense for Uniting America. Ted is a native Nevadan who served as a U.S. Naval officer for 28 years, during which time he was stationed in Japan, Spain, Germany, and the UK. He's now retired from the military and spends his time spreading the word that there is a common sense approach to ending political divisions. So of course, we wanted to speak with him. While developing training programs all over the world, from Armenia to Azerbaijan, Ted became excruciatingly aware that there were lots of disjunctions from administration to administration, which prevented the U.S. from having and working towards the kind of long-range vision that many other countries have, think China. This, combined with the divisiveness of the last two elections and the all-or-nothing feeling from people on both sides of the aisle, led him to feel that our government is a beautiful idea but it doesn't seem to work in practice. He feels there's a simpler issue with the government with a simple fix that will make our political divisions go away. After all, if you think about all the problems that we have in our country and world, shouldn't we all be focusing on answers to these challenges, even if we come to the answers through different pathways in life? One thing thing that Ted teaches us that is key is that he feels that he needs to change our two-party system and plurality voting, which inevitably makes people feel left out, voiceless, and disempowered. It's not that we don't and we won't have differences of opinions. We do and we should. It's that the current system forces people towards extremes. We think that you'll enjoy learning more about Ted and his thoughts on this episode. Thank you for listening. Hi, everybody. My name's Jack. I'm a high school junior from Manhattan. I've been with NextGen for about a year. I did a civic action project with them on freedom of expression, where we released a survey to high school students, which was really interesting because we were able to gather a lot of data on the state of political expression in New York City high schools. And now I work, or I'm with the podcast. Hi, my name is Kanisha. I'm a high school junior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being on the podcast, I'm also a facilitator at YVote. And today, I'm just really excited to talk about what political division actually looks like in our country. It's definitely been a through line in the podcast and just in general with what NGP does. But you can never really look too much into this topic, in my opinion, because it is like one of the biggest challenges I think our generation especially is facing. So kind of just want to look more in depth in not only what political division looks like, but how we as young people specifically can actually help fix that. Hi, my name is Madeline, and I'm a high school junior from Brooklyn, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm also a lead civic fellow here at NGP. And of course, like polarization is always something that we're trying to delve into and discuss here at NGP. But what I find really interesting about what you've done is we haven't really looked at it much on the international scale and being overseas and whatnot. And it seems like you have a lot of experience in that zone. My name is Tedman Getchman. I am a retired Naval officer. I did 28 years in the US Navy and retired out a couple of years ago. And I'm also the founder of Common Sense for Uniting America, 
And what we're trying to do is actually provide some education and spread the word that there is a common sense factor to ending our division, the political division that's in our country. And it's actually a doable thing. Just a little bit more background on myself. I've lived in many countries around the world, eight years in Japan, two years in Spain, probably about five, six years now in the United Kingdom, four years in Germany. So just various places and have worked with different militaries, different governments, and obviously lots of just regular people. So that's kind of a bit of my background. Awesome. So can I ask, like, how did you end up finding this passion of yours of like being interested in being in the Navy and being interested in polarization? Um, I feel like as a high schooler, you see a lot of people who are, are interested in politics, sure, but not really to the extent that the people on this podcast are. And so I'm curious, like, how did that path end up forming for you? Well, one of the things that I noticed, Madeline, was when I got into the area of being a foreign area officer, when you're a foreign area officer, what you do is you tend to work with other governments, other militaries, and you explain the U.S. military standpoint on issues. You work together to develop training programs, things like that. And we would go to places like Azerbaijan, Armenia. Those are some of the countries that I would work with. And we would say, we have this program that we're working on to do some kind of mutual training, you know, in, in logistics or whatever. But then we'd always have to kind of caveat it and say, the Congress is putting this into place, but we have to wait to find out whether or not it's going to happen or whether or not it's going to continue the next year, because we might have a new administration. And it's logical or, or we are so used to it in the United States that when you have a new administration, you have no idea what's going to happen. All these programs we've been working on for two years are just going to disappear and they're going to be replaced by a whole bunch of new programs. And so we would go to these other militaries. We'd say, well, we really don't know what we're going to be doing in two years, but here's kind of what we think what might happen. And I had a conversation with some Azeri officers you know, Azerbaijan, and they just kind of couldn't understand that. It's like, how can you not know? You're the United States, and you don't know what you're going to do in the next two years. We know what we're going to be doing in the next 10 years. Russia knows what it's going to be doing in the next 20 years. China knows what it's going to be doing in the next 50 years. And you guys don't know what you're doing next year? So that was kind of one of those big aha moments that I had. And the other one that is on a more personal level is one morning, you know, I'm getting ready to go to work. I'm in the shower. My wife comes in and she's crying. And it, you know, she is just beside herself and she manages to get out. I think he's going to win. And this was November 9th, you know, in, in 2016, right? So President Trump was going to be elected. And she was devastated over this fact. You know, she knew that women's rights were thrown back, you know, 10 years and all these other issues and problems. And then I'm talking to my mother, not that long after, and she is relieved. You know, it is, we have just dodged this bullet and we didn't get this, this criminal woman responsible for our government. And, and now things can move forward. You know, and then flash forward to 2020, and now, okay, things are back to normal. Now we can get the country going again. You know, my wife is happy. This is going well. 
And I talked to my mom and it's like, yep, the end is coming. You know, this is the first sign of the apocalypse. And it's always this all or nothing thing. And it's just insane to me. And so I, when this is about, you know, five, seven years before getting out of the military. So I've been doing this for like a decade or so now. You know, if we are going to ever get somewhere, I mean, get somewhere big, something like becoming an interstellar species, you know, with ships going out into space, like you need a lot of intelligence. You need a lot of people. You can't have wars and nonsense like that distracting you. So what causes wars? You know, there's business, there's government, there's religion. Okay, let's look at the government side. And I love our constitution. To me, it's a beautiful thing, how the powers are broken up, and it, but it just doesn't work. You know, there's something wrong. What's wrong with it? And so I began to pull the little thread and I finally came to the realization that there's just a simple problem with it, with a simple fix. And then all of this political division kind of goes away. And when I'm talking about political division, just to be clear, what I'm talking about is that there is a faction of people who are in charge, and then there's a faction of people who are ignored. And if you're in the group who's the ruling faction, you get to do what you want, go where things are going to happen, you're going to go along the line that you want. And if you're in the ignored faction, you're going completely the wrong way. You don't want to go there. You don't have any say. You don't have any way to stop it. So, of course, you're going to look for other means. You're going to be doing the protesting. You're going to be doing you know, the attack on the Capitol. You're going to be doing you know, the attacks on businesses because you've lost your ability to legally be heard. And we say, well, we still heard, you still vote. Yeah, but if you're not in the ruling power, you're in the ignored. And the thing that I think people don't really get is that there's no bad guys here. If you, Madeline or, or Jack or Kanisha, think about all the problems that we have between climate change, immigration, COVID, trade, the debt, and you can think of answers to these. And if you were in the ruling majority, wouldn't you try to implement those answers? And then you've got this, you know, this little 45% minority over, over here going, no, 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 no. It's like, but you know, you know, you almost feel morally obligated. We've got to fix this. It's our time to fix this. Let's go ahead and fix this. And so you go fix it. So there's not bad people and good people. It's just we've all come to these answers through different pathways in life. And now, you know, when it's our chance, when we're in that ruling faction, we need to take advantage of it. Where I came from and how I got to this point, and it's it's this personal and then it's also this professional and seeing it on the outside of how damaging it is. You know, we had a civil war for crying out loud, and there's nothing stopping us from having another one. It's not like something came into place and, and that's going to stop that from happening. So that's all of that came into play. And if I'm really going to do something for the country, if I'm really going to make a difference, you know, how do I fix this? How do I work on this? So that's that's where I came from and why I'm passionate about it. I want to believe. I'm just not sure I'm sold yet. And I think that comes out of a couple of things. So I, I really appreciate about you. You're very optimistic about us as a country, right? You're like, there are no bad guys here. And I don't know if I am totally sold on that optimism. And I do think that there are, like you speak of max voting, right? And there are some 
like there are some make or break issues for voters, right? So like, for example, for my father, abortion is a huge issue, right? He's pro-life, you know, he won't vote for the person that he will not back the person if they're not pro-life. And a lot of people are like that about different issues. And so I wonder how can we have this system of max voting, but still have those people who are really, you know, passionate about single issues and have very strong stances. My father is also really, really, really passionate about education reform. He is like sort of more on the conservative side, very strongly believes in like school choice and like all of these like you know, tuition tax credits and so on. That is another single issue, you know, voter issue for him. There's a very interesting book called by, by Ezra Klein called Why We're Polarized, which hints at a lot of what you're saying. And he does this very interesting analysis of political history, which is the Senate and the and the House now flip in parties with much more frequency than they used to. So it used to be like in the early 1900s, you know, one party would be in power for like 10 or 20 years. And so the, the minority would be incentivized to compromise. But now with this flip-flopping all the time, the minority is just incentivized to make life hell for the majority so that at the end, so that election cycle, they can say, hey, look, the Democrats didn't do anything. Or, hey, look, the Republicans didn't do anything. Do you think that sort of that narrative of like, we didn't used to be this polarized and we didn't used to have this sort of super strong partisan division, at least in like the early part of the 20th century. Would you say that that's more of like an American political mythology? Or do you think that there was something to that? And do you think if there is something to that, and we were legitimately less polarized then, what do you think changed? And do you think we can get back to that state? I'm all for max voting, right? I think our voting system is broken. First past the post is a terrible way to vote. Um, But I think that, I, I wonder, is there another way that you can also attack that issue? Well, let's unpack a number of the, of the things that you mentioned. First, going to the idea of, have we become more polarized? And from the graphics and things that I remember, in recent history, we have become more polarized. And this is going back only as far as like Eisenhower, going through this period, even the time of Nixon and Reagan and that, that kind of period of time, there was less animosity. But if you look at the history of the United States, and we tend to be, as a culture, we have short memories, but people were being shot regularly when they're giving political speeches. I mean, it was very polarized. And even back to the time of Adams and Jefferson, when they were discussing the issues such as, do we side with the French? Do we side with the British? Oh, well, if you don't side with the British, then the French, you know, or the French are going to incentivize the Indians to come in and attack or the Native Americans to come and attack and wipe you out. And it was very vicious politics. And if you look even towards like the election of Hayes, where they went in and they convinced, you know, three states these individual electoral votes to flip against the popular will so that Hayes could be elected and Stilton would not be elected. There's a long history of this animosity and this viciousness. And I think it's been worse in the past than we're experiencing now. But in the recent past, yes, it's gotten a little bit worse. I'm not a historian, but I would actually look towards the advent of television and movies as having an impact on the level of polarization. And it was that the newspapers were very polarized. Newspapers were started to push a specific political agenda, even in the United States. You see that more in Great Britain where they, you know, they tend to wear it on their sleeve a bit more. And it kind of went away from that, but it was really with the advent of television. And there was this sense that maybe that was supposed to be something different something nonpartisan. And the reporters 
you know, really, they really kind of worked to convey that and do that much more so than the newspapers, the Hearst and, and that crowd. But then that kind of started to go away because it's not like the natural way of things anyway. The newspapers are kind of more the natural way. I have an agenda. I'm trying to get this power. I'm trying to do this money, et cetera. And I think that eventually television just followed. And so we're starting to kind of go back, you know, toward that direction. But there was also a time under FDR where they really pushed heavy from above this idea of we need to be together. We need to be working together, you know, in, in a very strong fashion. And I think that also had an impact. And there's multiple little things going on, Braver Angels, other groups that are trying to bridge the divide, teach people to work together, talk together more. So I think that was, those are some factors that I think took us out of the polarization, but now we're kind of moving back into what I would think of more as our normal level of polarization. Going back to your father and, and the fact he's a single issue individual, when we are in a situation where everything is going along fine, we don't really have an incentive to try to change it or to try to do anything to modify it because it's going our way. The things we are most interested in and concerned about are the things that we don't think are going the right way. And that's where we tend to engage more. And that's where we tend to be more active. If you don't think education is good in the United States, that's what you're going to focus on. But if you think the minimum wage is fine and immigration is working fine, then you're not going to be, you know, that focused. So every person is going to be one of these individuals who really kind of focuses on the issues that they don't think are exactly right and need to be changed, I would argue. And I would think it'd be very difficult to be a politician because you're continuously just hearing from those people, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, we gotta fix this, we gotta fix this. Because if everything is fine, you're not writing to your congressman going, hey, I love where our taxes are right now. This is the greatest policy ever. Let's just keep this going. So I don't think your father is unique. And also the idea of, well, are you pro-life or pro-choice? If you consider a political spectrum of people saying, we should have abortion, yes, always, we should have abortion, no, never. There's a lot of area in between those two. It's not a binary issue. It's like, under what conditions? How did the pregnancy happen? What are the circumstances of the health of the mother? Does somebody have to be informed? Who's paying for it? You know, there's a lot of different pieces that fall into, well, exactly where is it? And right now you're kind of just given this, well, this is the policy that group A wants, and this is the policy that group B wants. So you want group A or do you want group B? And so you pick that methodology. When you get into something like max voting, where any time a voter can give their full opinion on every candidate, and all of that opinion is used to determine who the winner is. That's a max voting method. So when you have something like that, what the vote is really doing is it's measuring how far these politicians' political agendas are from the individual voters, which will tend to favor the politician who's closer to the most voters. Well, that point of being closer to the most voters happens at the majority opinion, because that's where the most voters are. Now, we don't know what the majority opinion is on abortion. And right now amongst, now this would be a kind of tough, but this small group, but like the folks who might be listening to this podcast all at the same time, there is a majority opinion on abortion that that group has. We don't know what it is. 
Nobody has agreed to it. We haven't even discussed it, but one exists. But the only way to find out what it is is to actually listen to all those members or statistical, a proper statistical sampling of all those members to determine what that position would be. And that becomes, you know, that position that a politician would want to embrace if they're trying to get an advantage in a max voting election. So the first criteria is they actually have to listen to everybody. And your father doesn't have to change his opinion. The politician just has to understand what all of them are so they could find out what, what really is that majority opinion. What do I think it is? And maybe another candidate comes up to a slightly different understanding of what that majority opinion is. So they run on that slightly different platform. But so that's kind of the difference of how that would work. And so now you've got all your politicians going to roughly the same political platform because that's what the majority opinion is. Now everyone's opinion is directing this majority opinion as it always does. But now the politicians have to seek out what that majority opinion is. So now you've got all these politicians who are kind of getting the same platform. So what's the difference between the Republican and the Democrat now? How different are they? And then even if the religious right or the atheist left or whatever you want to call, you know, these two strong groups who are advocating one way or another, it still comes down to what, what is the majority opinion? It's not going to flip all the way to the left or all the way to the right. The majority opinion is going to continue to guide it. So that's kind of how I would say that you can be a single issue person. Most people are going to be a single issue person, but there's still going to be a majority opinion on that issue. Yeah, uh, so I kind of wanted to shift gears to just like touching on something you were saying earlier. You brought up this idea of like the next civil war because of like how polarized our country is. Like, I think it was by the Brookings Institution. I remember seeing it a few months ago about how it's like 46% of the people they polled thinks that there's a foreseeable civil war. And I think it was like 10 or 11% of people that were unsure about it. And I also remember seeing there that like these percentages were higher in the South or that these percentages were lower among older people. And I can just like kind of speaking anecdotally from like living in like a place where there are a lot of older people around and there's a lot of like older conservative people around, I can definitely like gauge not only these like so-called political divides, but what is super interesting to me is actually like the various cultural divides that are separating us or that breed these political beliefs, right? I feel like I neglect a lot how people older than me grew up in such a different environment. They didn't grow up like we did right? Um, they didn't grow up with so much technology, or they just didn't grow up in the same, even political circumstances. And then people even older than our parents grew up in, again, a really drastically different time. So what do you think is necessary to maybe bridge or just to some extent remedy cultural divides that are the basis for, it seems like these super polarized political divides? Do you think there's any solution to that? Or how can we just you know, kind of deconstruct this animosity that a lot of people harbor towards politics. One thing that I think is important to do that would take, really kind of take out this possibility of the civil war is implementing some kind of max voting type tool, because what that does is it ends the systemic political division. Right now, when we use a plurality voting system or a ranked choice voting system, it incentivizes this division 
it creates a division and gives power to one and not to the other. So you have this disadvantaged group. Now that disadvantaged group might feel they're disadvantaged because they've just newly arrived to the country or they speak a different language or they have a different religion or something of that nature. Ending political division doesn't change this tension that there is between cultures or changes in cultures that are just happening. But what it does is it takes away that sense of loss of power or the ability to get power if you fight harder or if you attack the opposition or something like that. I think when it comes to solving these cultural wars, first of all, if everyone's opinion kind of is factored into this majority opinion that's driving the politics, I think then you're giving everyone a voice, regardless of their background, their ethnicity, et cetera. But we run into this tension. I think it's more, more because of the unknown. People are afraid of the unknown in terms of this city doesn't look like it used to look. So I don't know what's happening. My neighbors don't look the same way I look. So I don't know what they're thinking. And these people down the street are practicing a religion that I'm not familiar with. And so I don't know what that means and what, how that's going to affect my life. And I think that's just a general fear that people have. And that we overcome on a one-to-one -one basis. This is where you're talking about not political division, but you're talking about differences of opinion and disagreements in what, what the facts are, what the facts mean, those kind of things. And those are going to continue. And that's where you get into something like, and the only reason why I bring up Braver Angels is that I'm also part of that organization in the Nevada chapter. And their whole goal is to help people communicate better, to listen better, to try to understand where these other people are coming from, to not put them into stereotypes and boxes. And that, I think it's those kind of efforts, that kind of engagement. And we can do more of that when we start taking this sting of stereotypes of, oh, these people are conservative, therefore they think like this. Oh, these people are liberal, therefore they think like this. And I think getting away from a two-party system, which is generated by ranked choice voting or plurality voting, does that. There's more that needs to happen on an interpersonal thing than simply setting the system up so it doesn't divide us. But you know, having a system that's forcing you more to unite, I think, is a good thing when it comes to that interpersonal communication. Polarization, it's a very heavy, heavy topic. And it's something that's going to come with lots of different perspectives, obviously, as people can be polarized about the issue of polarization. But in a way, I think that that's one of the most American qualities of polarization. And just this whole conversation has me thinking about the power of the newspapers and the foundation of our country. Like, what is the value of the First Amendment if not for polarization? And where's the line drawn between being concerned about polarization and having the right to execute those natural freedoms that were given through the Constitution. And so whereas maybe polarization in itself isn't, in my opinion, the most evil thing that can happen to our country, maybe the effects of polarization mm -hmm. is what I'm concerned about. And so I think that uh, conversations like these are the first steps into making sure that the effects of polarization are held accountable and that we are tracking 
and being cautious about what comes next for our country. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the effects of polarization, as, as you were saying, it's not the fact we have differences of opinion. It's the fact that, as Jack had mentioned, you know, the goal of the opposition party in Congress is to make the current party in Congress fail. I mean, that's their goal. They're not trying to compromise. They're not trying to bring anything forward. And that's not because they're bad or evil people. I remember Senator Ayotte in New Hampshire back in 2016. She started off in 2010 and she ran as a conservative. She was the attorney general of New Hampshire and she had worked for a Democratic governor. She'd worked for a Republican governor. She had you know, dealt with issues on both sides. So she was pretty much in the middle. But to get the Republican nomination, she needed to become more conservative. So she reached out. She got endorsements from Tea Party members, DeMint, Jim DeMint, who was like extremely right wing. And so she was elected into Congress and she won into the Senate. And there is something called the Luger. The Luger Center puts out a rating, a partisan rating index kind of thing. How often do they work with other people across the way? And out of all the senators, I think she ranked like 46 in her first term. In her second term, her second uh, two years, she ranked eighth. She was like the eighth most bipartisan individual in the Senate. You're thinking, great, here's someone who's getting stuff done, who wants to work together. In her third one, she was 13th. And so now she's going to run for re-election. It's been six years. She runs for re-election. She gets the Republican nomination. And another individual runs as an independent, uh, but with a very conservative agenda by the name of Aaron Day. And basically, he's able to pull enough voters away from her that she fails to you know, be elected by like 5% or something like that. He gets 10%. So it's kind of his effort to do this. And he came out later and said, that's why I ran is so that she wouldn't run or she, she would fail. So what I'm trying to convey is that if the politicians aren't just fighting each other to stop the other party, there are individuals who can, you know, who will try to get them kicked out, you know, who will try to see them fail and not get reelected. So that's one of the effects that you're talking about, about polarization, as well as gridlock, as well as gerrymandering, as well as, you know, these very antagonistic election campaigns. So, you know, and those are the things that just drive the heat and create, you know, more of this anger and dissension and this sense of hopelessness if you don't win. Like I was talking about my mom and my wife, it's, it's all or nothing. It's like the world is gonna just fall apart if the other person wins and everything is going to be wonderful if yours wins and you, you can't keep doing that. That's all for today with Next Gen Politics. Special thanks to our editor, Clara Medina, our producer, Sanda Balaban, and to Jeremiah Hunt for our opening and closing music. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded. This is Maggie Yu for Next Gen Politics. <laughs>